Thanks for tuning in to the Word for the World Community Church podcast. We are located in Stewartstown, Pennsylvania, and our pastor is Bishop Lewis M. Payne. We are an intercultural, interracial, international Christian fellowship, and we're focused on reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Word for the World podcast. Uh, we're happy that you're here with us again today. This is our second episode here at Word for the World, and uh, we are excited to continue on with our study in the book of Philippians. Last, uh, The last uh, uh, episode we had, we did an introduction to the book of Philippians, and today we're going to dive into the first chapter and uh, really just point out some Good information in the text. Uh, with us here today, we have our uh, our, our pastor, uh, Dr. Lewis Payne. He's a, a, a bishop in our organization. I'm your host, Elder John Wolf, and uh, Bishop, we're happy to have you here today. God bless you. Bless you, sir. I'm happy to be with you. So last week we 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 focused on our introduction, and uh, we really want to just dive into the word here today and. Uh, just really just jump on in. Uh, I would like to uh, open up and just read our our text here this morning, but I'm going to just do uh, focus on the first uh, two verses to get started, and uh, we'll we'll move on from there. Uh, I, I have the New King James here, and I'm just going to read verse one says, "Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus." who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Bishop, uh, you had mentioned last week with introductions that Paul gives. Uh, one uh, in particular, uh, with this particular one, is you had mentioned that he didn't consider him, he didn't uh, introduce himself as an apostle. Right. He, he more or less introduced himself as, in this case, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. which uh, is, uh, it, it goes completely different than most of the other letters he wrote. And yes. you mentioned it, it, it in part goes towards his relationship with the Philippian church and, uh, and how you know, he felt about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought it was really interesting how he mentioned Timothy's name in the introduction. Why do you think he brought up Timothy here in, in the introduction when he was writing the letter? Well, Timothy not only was his son in the ministry, but a helper on the missionary journeys, but Timothy would have been known by the people of that area. Uh, as we look in the book of the Acts of the Apostles and we read about Timothy uh, joining the apostolic company, uh, we know that he was from this region where the Philippians are located. And so um, I sort of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, saying to the Philippians uh, that one of their homeboys, as it were, uh, was with him. Uh, he mentions Timothy uh, as a part of uh, those who are with him now at his imprisonment in Rome. Yeah, yeah, and Timothy, like you say, so intram- instrumental to this congregation. Uh, and then Paul kind of goes on, he starts, you know, bringing up some of our, our terminology, and he talks about 
uh, when he, he's talking about, you know, to the saints of the church, and he brings up bishops and deacons. Yes. Can you speak a little bit more to that? What I know we have our, uh, in, in our modern day church today, what we would consider a bishop and a deacon, but in terms of scripture, what is the intention of the term bishops and deacons here? What is, what, what, what's the role and, and how is that defined? Well, it seems that um, in the ancient church, uh, the titles were used a bit differently from the way we use those titles today. Um, bishops were really overseers of congregations. They were more like what we would call today a pastor. And the deacons, of course, were those who were given to doing the practical things of the church, not particularly. The, the bishops handled were the leaders who handled the preaching and teaching aspects of the congregation. The deacons were those who helped in more mundane manners, uh, matters. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some believe that the men who were called in Acts chapter 6 to help out with the daily administration were doing the job of, a G of the deacon. And so uh, deacons were those who were helpers of the uh, spiritual leaders in mainly non-spiritual matters. However, Paul does mention in his letter to Timothy, um, when he gives the qualification of deacons, they're very much similar uh, to the qualifications given for the bishops or, or the spiritual leaders of the church. I, I'm, all, I'm often impressed by the fact that in the early church, it seemed as though if you were doing, uh, if you had any position in the church, it all required, no matter what you were doing, uh, to have a, a moral life and a deeply spiritually dedicated life. And uh, I think that's very important for churches even in our time. Now, in our church today, we have uh, positions of ministers, elders, uh, pastors, bishops, and, and so on. Uh, how do you think that kind of evolved into different titles and different roles that we see here today? Well, I think um, as the church progressed, if you um, read the history of the church, you find that the church progressed in various lands and in various cultures. And then there was a time, there was a time when the um, the Roman Church uh, was uh, predominant in uh, most countries of the world. And uh, they developed a hierarchy of uh, different stations, different positions, uh, different uh, levels of leadership. And uh, churches that came out of that during the Reformation sometimes maintained some of those same uh, ecclesiastical uh, differences that uh, were brought up through the Roman Church. Yeah, and I think at the heart of it, it's all about, uh, you know, like you mentioned, people of good standing and faith devoted to Christ. And it's really, you know, look at any organization out there, there's always a hierarchy of leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, it helps for any organization to run better. So. In all things, it, it, it seems pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, we might define or break down a, a minister versus an elder, and, and it has a little bit of different meaning today where it's much more of a hierarchy more than anything, and it's not 
it's not intended to go away from what scripture ever meant to be or anything like that. It's just about leadership roles and organization and that type of stuff. Yes, I agree. Uh, I had to pull out my, uh, my lexicon to, to look up bishop, and I, I noticed the, the Greek word is episkopos. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought the definition was really interesting, uh, where it, it basically says a man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly, which is kind of like the definition of a superintendent. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like you mentioned, they're, they're overseeing a church. They're making sure that the church is in order and, and things are done correctly and uh, according to God's word. Yeah, uh, bishops, uh, leaders, overseers of churches uh, in the New Testament are given at least two responsibilities. Uh, one mm -hmm. of those responsibilities is to govern the house of God. And so uh, not only do they teach and preach, but they also have to govern the house of God, right? And to see that things are, uh, are done decently and in order. Absolutely. Now, when uh, we, we continue on in the scripture after our introduction here, uh, Paul goes on to write uh, in verses 3 through 11, uh, basically kind of a breakdown of, of prayer here almost when we, when we look at it. And he's thanking the people. Uh, he opens up with prayer. And I, I just wanted to highlight with our scripture here, uh, if, we just, if I were just read here, verse 3, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I, I find it interesting, you know, even when I look at verse 4, how Paul kind of highlights how he's making requests for you. Paul loves intercessory prayer, and and he really highlights that in this scripture that uh, you know he prayer is not just for the individual, but it's for everybody, and and he really likes to do this, pray for others and pray for a church and, and everything like that. I believe that uh, in no way has the uh, modern day church um, abandoned the principles of the early apostolic church than in this matter of prayer. Hmm. Uh, prayer was the lifeblood of the early church. Uh, they had seasons of prayer, stated times for prayer. Um, they spent a great deal of time in prayer. You know, over and over again, as we read the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we find that the early church was a praying church. When somebody was incarcerated, when someone was sick, when uh, various circumstances uh, appeared, uh, they, the church uh, gave themselves to prayer. As a matter of fact, going back again to Acts chapter 6, uh, when the apostles uh, learned that the uh, Hellenistic uh, Jews were being uh, not served well during the daily administration, then what happened was uh, they said, you choose out for yourself seven men of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost and set them to this task. But now notice what they said about themselves. But we 
will give ourselves, commit ourselves, dedicate ourselves. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so important. And in this crazy times we live in and people are seem to be working, you know, 50, 60 hour work weeks and both husbands and wives are out working. And it seems that people are just so busy all the time yeah. that they neglect prayer. A lot of times, you know, people are like, oh, I'm too tired. I don't have enough time. But if we really focus on what God wants us to do, it's almost like we have it backwards. We feel like we had to work uh, really hard many hours to make a living rather than put our attention and focus on God first. And he provides from there. Yeah, it's the oppressiveness, I think, of daily schedules that keep people from prayer. Uh, and uh, we have so many other forms of uh, unwinding and forms of amusement today. Uh, I think that by the time most people get home from work, they just want to relax. They want to have some dinner, maybe uh, spend time watching television or doing something of that sort. And it sort of eats away at the time that one would otherwise have spent uh, with God. So I, I don't think... I don't think you should just try to find time to pray. I think you have to schedule time. You have to make time to pray. Uh, even if it means getting up a little earlier in the morning to pray. Uh, even if it means that, okay, after, uh, after dinner or after I've uh, unwound uh, a little bit, maybe watched a TV show or something, I have a stated time daily that I want to spend with the Lord and spend some time in the Word. And so I think that uh, uh, barring that, uh, many of us will can go days without spending time in communion and fellowship with God. And I think that's one of the reasons why there seems to be an absence of power in many churches today is because of the ne neglect of prayer. Yeah. And Power comes in so many different forms. It's not just uh, put my hands on someone and heal them of a disease, but power can come in the forms of what we see going on in uh, the culture, mm -hmm. uh, what we see in politics. Mm -hmm. We see the, the church has lost its influence mm -hmm. in many areas of uh, you know the law and, and political nature and in our school districts. And if the church was united with prayer, we would have so much more power than we even realize. Mm -hmm. and, you know, many years ago, that was the foundation. Uh, our schools were governed by principles of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Prayer was still in school, so to speak. We, we all know we can all pray yeah. without anyone knowing, but public prayer mm -hmm. and all those type of things. And the church has really neglected, uh, the, especially prayer. I think we've done that to our detriment. Uh, I think that uh, if we uh, really want to get back uh, to a closer relationship with God, prayer is an indispensable part of one's spiritual life. Uh, it's not that we should pray, uh, but we must pray if uh, the church is going to have witness and power in the uh, culture in which we live because we've lived, we live in a culture that has sort of pushed God to the side. And uh, it's uh, an, an increasingly anti-Christian culture. 
And so if we're going to preserve the principles upon which the church was built, and if we're going to be an effective witness in the world of our time, it must include the discipline of prayer. Jesus expected us to pray. He said, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. And who was a better exemplar of prayer than Jesus? I mean, you can't help but be uh, impressed as you read the Gospels of how much time Jesus spent in prayer. <laughs> uh, all night in prayer, getting up a great while before a day uh, to pray. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, spent much time in prayer. And I think those who are genuinely to call themselves the followers of Jesus must be people of prayer as well. Uh, verse 6 of this, uh, of this chapter is one of our champion verses in the Bible. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's one of those scriptures that so many of us know and and quote and, and we love. Uh, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that sticks out in me or, or, or in this uh, scripture is he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, would you consider this a reference to not just our salvation, um, but until the day that we are uh, met back with Jesus? Or when the when the Bible says until the day of Jesus Christ, what, what do you what do you get out of the scripture there? What, what's the reference there? I think the reference there is to the day that Christ returns, and to the day of Jesus Christ, the day uh, when we shall meet with Him. Uh, again, and I think that uh, it's it's important. It's genuinely important for us to believe that I, I love this. I, I love this statement. God finishes what He starts, mm. and He that has begun a, a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know there are uh, people with varying theologies who say that uh, this about salvation or that about salvation you can lose it and find it again or once you've lost it you've lost it forever. I, I believe that um, a great uh, discovery uh, that anyone can make is that God is a promise keeper, that God completes what he starts um, that we are not kept by our own efforts, but we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So I think that's an important uh, point for, uh, for us as Christians to remember. The Lord began a good work in us. He will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And, and people, you know, probably you know they talk or think about like when we die what happens does do we go immediately and meet god at that point in time uh but then we also get a resurrected body later down the road when jesus returns and so then we'll have a more glorified body with him and, and, uh, and in this scripture when people talk about the day of jesus christ do you think it's when we have our resurrected bodies, or is it just the day that we get to see him face to face in heaven when we pass on from this body into, into heaven with him? Uh, I believe, well, um, I, I, you know, I guess one's opinion <laughs> is just one person's opinion may be just as good as another's. Uh, 
I, I think that this, this completion of the day of Jesus Christ means that when we, when Christ himself shall appear, when the day of Christ, the day of Christ, uh, the, the work will continue, that God started in us will continue. doesn't mean that we'll not have any, we won't meet any bumps along the road. Mm-hmm. I think that as Christians, we are still imperfect people. Uh, there are times when there are things that may happen in our lives that cause us uh, to, to sin or to miss the mark and be less than what God would have us to be. But I think that that doesn't automatically invalidate our salvation. God started this work in us. He's going to see us through to the day of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that we, you know, we are, as I mentioned earlier, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Absolutely. <laughs> our, uh, our scripture continues on here, uh, where in verse 7 it goes on to say, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul has a amazing way with words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 has these long, drawn-on sentences mm-hmm. that has so much meat. I couldn't imagine writing sentences like these personally. It's just so much going on in one continuous long uh, statement. But he says so much. I mean, he he mentions that he's in chains, but the chains that he's in is the chains that he has to the defense of the gospel, not in the physical chains that he's actually experiencing imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and and. And it's just one of those things with Paul and the way I just look at him is his attitude and his perception of reality is so interconnected with Christ and the gospel that he literally he doesn't he doesn't separate the two. And I know we always talk about how yeah I live in the I live in the world uh, at the same time as you know servant of God, but. It's almost to the point where he knows the reality of the world around him, but he's just so focused on what God wants him to do and the gospel and the spreading of the message that he almost separates himself from the physical reality that he's in. Uh, Keep in mind that Paul was a very brilliant man. Um, He was an expert in the law, and he had studied under uh, one of the renowned uh, rabbis of all time, uh, Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He, Paul knew the law. He was an Old Testament scholar. He, was, he had a brilliant uh, mind. And in addition to being profoundly intellectual, Paul was a profoundly spiritual man. He had this encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that changed his life forever. And uh, he, uh, uh, even though... He was a brilliant man. God used him uh, to write about half of the New Testament. They're the writings of of Paul. And Paul's 
Paul could never forget his uh, experience of Jesus. And uh, he, he, whatever else happened in his life sort of paled in comparison to the experience he had in meeting the Lord. And uh, he was a chosen vessel to bear God's name to the Gentiles. Uh, he, he was a man who was committed to, to his fellow countrymen and bringing them to the knowledge of Christ as well. And so Paul had a, a, a tremendous career that God gave him uh, because of the profound, uh, shall we say, the profundity of the experience that he had in meeting Christ. Uh, in verse 9, as we continue on here, Paul makes, to me, an interesting statement. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, when we hear the word love, so many times we think of an emotion. But when I read this scripture, it's really uh, pointed towards action. You know, it, the more and more knowledge we gain of God, the greater our love increases. Uh, the closer we draw to God, and it says with discernment, that our love may abound still more and more. So the implication is our love can grow. Sure, uh, love can grow. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, um, last week we taught about the fact that the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And, uh, and as you said, most people um, associate love with emotion, with feelings of affection. Uh, that's true, and that's good. That's well and good. But our love for God goes far beyond just mere emotions, just mere feeling. We really love God when we honor Him, when we worship Him, when we obey Him, uh, when we seek to be well-pleasing in His sight, you know. And so uh, Paul, Paul had a great love for the Philippians. I mean, this is the warmest of all of his epistles. And Paul doesn't have to spend time telling them, okay, now, wait a minute, hold on. Now, you got to listen to what I'm saying because I'm an apostle and I'm chosen to be an apostle by the will of God. He does that in almost all of his epistles except um, uh, this epistle in Thessalonians and Philemon. Uh, he's, he's speaking to them as one who loves them and who has experienced love from them. They've supported him. They've backed him up financially. They've uh, kept him in their prayers. Paul was like a pastor to them. He was the founder of the church in Philippi. And so the first portion of this uh, first chapter of Philippians is like... Um, a pastoral letter, uh, a pastor writing to the members of his flock. This uh, opening prayer that you know of love that Paul has given, he continues on in verse ten, says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be, be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One thing I, I find interesting with Paul is he's a Trinitarian and he uh, <laughs> he really highlights the the Trinity in, in his language it, when you look I mean in verse 11 he says filled with the fruits of righteousness you can look at that and say well that that's the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is what fills us with fruits 
that come from righteousness, uh, which are by Jesus Christ, the Son, and to the glory and praise of God the Father. And, and his language, it, it just always amazes me. You know, we talk about the Trinity, but Paul, he has it built in so many scriptures, so many different areas where he's referencing Christ, the Son. He's referencing the Holy Spirit. He's referencing the Father. I think that you, we have to be a little bit careful when we talk about Paul being a Trinitarian. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are, we, no doubt there are many among us who don't accept the uh, doctrine of the Trinity as it is usually spoken of. But I think that it's uh, unmistakably clear uh, through Scripture that God is a triune God. God is a plurality in unity, if we could say that. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that, um, that, yes, we, we do read of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but sometimes when we say Trinity or Trinitarian, some people put some other um, theological faces on those terms, which not all of us can agree with. But I think that you can't help but read Scripture and find that God the Father uh, is, is creator. Uh, you can't help but see that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is also God, the eternal word who was with the Father, who was with God and was God. And we know that the Holy Spirit uh, is mentioned in Scripture as God. And so... Uh, Yes, God is plural, plural. Yes, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's one God. Uh, and there are th um, three manifestations of God. He's a plurality in unity. But, um, uh, but to say Paul is a Trinitarian uh, it would be fine in some circles. <laughs> in others, it would uh, beg for further explanation and for maybe different uh, a way of expression. That's interesting because, you know, sometimes you don't really think about how others define terminology. Right. And there is so much different, different <laughs> term. I mean, one word can mean one thing to one uh, denomination and, and mean something completely different to another. And it, uh, <laughs> it, it sometimes is hard to, uh, to think about those things, but in a large part, in general, we know what I mean when we talk about the triune God. Right. Uh, now, there's kind of a little bit after this prayer and, and opening, now Paul kind of dives into uh, the, the remainder of this chapter where he, he really wants to lay out his circumstances that he finds himself in and let, um, let the Philippians know kind of where he is right now. Uh, with, with verse 12 and through 14, he goes on to say, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, <laughs> the, the palace guards... They knew that Paul was serving God. I mean, it became abundantly evident to them as he was writing here that uh, the guards who were watching him day and night, uh, that they 
probably would have recognized that Paul was not even a criminal himself, that this is a good man that they're watching over. So, uh, and in regards here, Bishop, um, we are about out of time here. Okay. Uh, they, Paul knew that what he had experienced, although it seemed negative, and although the enemy may have done it for evil, he knew that God was in charge, he was sovereign, and actually what was meant to be evil was actually going to turn out to his advantage and was not going to halt the spread of the gospel. Amen, amen. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, with, with the Apostle Paul, uh, even in, in verse 14, I, I just noticed that he's encouraging other believers around him to not fear, uh, which is, for all people who could have been in some form of fear, it could have been Paul, how he was constantly attacked, he was beat, uh, I mean, almost to the point of death. And quite frankly, he just displayed no fear. And that just increased the faith of everyone else around him. And, you know, some of the most, I want to say powerful people, but the people that you want to follow the most in life, people that you encounter, they just always seem to be fearless individuals, almost non-compromising type people, uh, where they, they're steadfast in what they believe. They stand up to bullies and people who are against them, uh, and they hold firm in their faith. And, and that's what Paul is to me. When, when I look at Paul, he is this leader who, who's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of what comes against him. Uh, and that increases the faith of people around him. Yeah, Paul, Paul had learned the secret of being happy no matter what uh, condition he found himself. And uh, I think that is even seen uh, way back in the book of the Acts, chapter 16, where he's in Philippian prison. He's in prison in Philippi. And at midnight, in the very darkest hour, he and, uh, he and Silas began to praise God. <laughs> and uh, the prisoners heard him, heard them, you know, praising God. I mean, how are you going to praise God in prison? How are you going to praise God uh, with the possibility they'd, they'd been beaten uh, with wooden rods in, in, the, in the town center and uh, thrown into prison and uh, they tried to secretly get them out of town, especially when they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. And two things you didn't do to a Roman citizen, a Roman citizen had a right to a trial. A Roman citizen uh, was not supposed to be beaten in public like they were beaten, and a, and a Roman citizen was not supposed to suffer crucifixion. So here they are now, uh, having done this, but Paul... Uh, was perfectly content. He didn't let his circumstances drag his spirit. He, his confidence was in, in God. Uh, he was so sure uh, that God was going to uh, use him and bless him no matter where he was, no matter what his circumstances uh, happened to be. Uh, Paul had this confidence in God. 
And, and it spread to other people. Mm-hmm. Other people began to see how Paul was able to go through this and uh, not uh, be moved by the adversity that, uh, that he went through. Some, somebody said one time, many of God's children are involved in the university of adversity, right? That's, we, it's it's uh, part and parcel of our Christian experience. But I think that um, Paul encouraged others by his steadfastness in the faith, in the faith despite of the things that were happening to him that seemed to have been adverse circumstances. Going on at this time, there's the preaching and spreading of the gospel. And we, we get a little insight in here that, that there's people preaching, uh, but not doing it with right intentions right. And, and almost coming against Paul. I mean, he highlights this in verses 15 uh, through 18, where he says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, mm-hmm. and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Right. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So he's given, you know, these dual preaching uh, or preachers coming out here, uh, the good and the bad and, and what have you, uh, which, you know, you know, at that time, I guess people were probably against Paul. There were some who were against Paul. Um, Paul was preaching something that was foreign to the Romans. The Romans believed that Caesar was a god. Uh, in Roman colonies uh, around uh, the, middle, the Middle East, uh, people who um, uh, were Roman citizens and be- or who lived in Roman colonies had to give an annual tribute to seize and worship him as God. Uh, once again, that's how um, the, uh, the religious um, leaders of Israel were able to blackmail Pilate. Wow, we, have, we don't have any king but Caesar. If you, if, you, uh, if you don't crucify this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And uh, so uh, the, the people of, uh, of, of Paul's day uh, knew that Paul was in prison for preaching Christ. His name, even though he was a prisoner, the name of Christ was even known among the imperial God. And so uh, Paul rejoiced because he said, whatever's happened to me is falling out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's for the progress of the gospel. That's all that mattered to Paul. Paul was on assignment by God to preach the good news to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul uh, delighted in the fact that mm-hmm. he, if you can delight in suffering, Paul was delighted by the fact that his adversity was causing Christ, is causing Christ's name to be preached. And yeah, that's what verse 18, he said, look, even if people are preaching uh, against me, right? as long as they're preaching Christ, yeah. to God be glorified. Yeah. You know, he didn't mind that his name was even being slandered, yeah. as long as the gospel was being advanced. Right. And that is, you know, that is a special spirit, because many of us would not 
take that well if people are speaking ill kind words of us mm-hmm. uh, we would want to defend ourselves yeah you know it's just our, our nature but Paul was like look they're preaching Christ yeah hey let them say whatever they want about me God will be glorified no matter what right but part of the Christian life is self-denial it's it's putting ourselves last it's seeking God first, putting God in first place. And if that means that I have to be defamed, that's it's okay. Uh, as long as Christ is being preached, as long as people are hearing the name of Jesus, as long as uh, the gospel is, uh, is progressing, uh, what happens to me personally is of secondary importance. Uh, in, in concluding our our first chapter here, the remainder, um, Paul starts to talk about how his life is all about Christ. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, how he highlights it. And, and again, just his words, you know, we, we look at verse 20, he starts saying, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. What a verse that is. That's, that's one of the most triumphant, exultant verses, I think, in the New Testament, maybe even in the Bible. You know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul uh, was aware that uh, his fate was in the hands of God. And Jesus Christ had come to mean everything to Paul. Christ was his, his joy, his hope, his life. He was his, the goal of his living. Uh, everything you can think of, it, 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 the end of his life, the inspiration of his life, the strength of his life. Jesus Christ meant everything to Paul. And he said, so for me to continue to live is Christ. And even if I die, that's game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we usually think of death as a loss. But Paul said, uh, uh, death is game. He says, matter of fact, I'm, 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 in a, I'm torn between two things. Whether I should uh, continue to live and go on with you uh, which is needful, or for me to die, which he said, which is far better, not just better, far better. Uh, but he said, but I, I think the Lord will allow me to continue with you for a while, you know. Uh, but yes, it was, it was to the point in Paul's life, Paul had come to the point where nothing meant more to him than Jesus. Paul was uh, assured in his spirit, I mean, fully assured that when he dies, he's going on to heaven with Christ. You know, people talk about what happens when you die. Well, if you ask Paul, if you're saved, you're going to be with Christ for all eternity. I mean, he does not shy away from that. He makes that abundantly obvious. Yes. Uh, and, And, you know, like you mentioned, he's an expert in the law. And we know there was primarily two main sects in Judaism, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the one group, Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. 
Uh, they they didn't necessarily even believe that you know there was that eternal right. um, heavenly abode, right. uh, so to speak. Yeah. And what <laughs> almost in the back of Paul's mind, he's thinking like when he says these things. Well, he knows that one group's not going to be very pleased with what he's saying there. Yeah, um, Paul. <laughs> The Pharisees, uh, not the Pharisees, the Sadducees uh, didn't believe in spirit. They, they, they didn't believe very much in angels. They thought that once you died, you know, that was it. You sort of faded into black, you know. And, uh, but Paul uh, and others of the Jews believed that there was life after death. And Jesus sort of silenced the Sadducees on that very question <laughs> uh, when he uh, taught, he made the first the Sadducees rather uh, made them eat their words when he said to them, "Well, is God the God of the living or the dead?" He said, "Well, he's the God of the living." Okay, well, if he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as you say then how could he be the God of them if they are all dead and God is only the God of the living? So he sort of had painted the Sadducees into a corner. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, um, Paul, Paul loved Jesus. There was no question. And he had given his all. He, he, he believed that Christ had given his all for him and, God, and that God had forgiven him. That's the thing about Paul. Paul felt as though he was a forgiven man. He was a man who hated the name of Jesus. He was a man who thought that any religion practiced in Israel that was not Judaism uh, ought to deserve the death penalty. Uh, he was a man who uh, kept the coats of those who were stoning Stephen to death. And he, he finally had to say, listen, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul never forgot about the fact that he had started his career hating Jesus, throwing Christians into prison. But in spite of all that he had done, God forgave him and gave uh, him his grace and gave him a powerful ministry to bring others to Jesus. That's probably, I mean, that's why he has the ability to write these words. I mean, when we conclude at the very end of chapter 1, uh, verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. He did not find suffering for Christ as a bad thing. No, he he saw it as uh, almost as a trophy. Yeah, that uh, I'm, I'm proud that someone wants to actually physically harm my body just because of my belief in Christ. I owe Jesus my all, and so whatever it is I must go through to bring glory to His name, I'm happy to do so. Amen. Well, Bishop. That uh, we're about out of time here today. Uh, I thank you again, and, and I'm happy that uh, we concluded the first chapter. We'll be going into chapter number two with our next episode. And uh, for everyone listening, we uh, praise God for you, and we pray for you, and, 
And uh, we thank you for your time. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Word for the World Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at wwcc-pa.org.